And Jehoshaphat recognizes the name, and the testimony of Elisha is strong, and the response comes. If you look down there at the beginning of verse 12, Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. And so, these three kings, and you'll see the, 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 the bind therein. You will see that they are driven to visit Elisha. They go down to him, and they put the issue before them. And the result is that Elisha intercedes. He gets a word from the Lord. They are commanded to dig ditches right there in the midst of the dusty, dry valley. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. May the Lord bless you today as we come again to the prophet Elisha. Elisha was the young guy. Elijah was the older, the rust gear, the tougher image. Elisha, well, he was the healer, the helper, and what a servant of God he was. He prayed for a double portion of God's power and got it because the number of miracles that he performed is exactly twice that which Elijah performed. And so we have all these pointers of God's power at work in Elisha, a type of the Lord Jesus. And I hope that today that you'll stay tuned with us right through the program as we come to this wonderful message on Elisha the prophet. And uh, today we're going to see how drought is turned into blessing, and the water is given that is required. If there's barrenness and dryness in your own heart and life, well, there's only one place to go, and that is to the Lord, because He can give you water. He can give you the spiritual water that is needed in your soul. And today we're going to learn again about the, the drug issues in this country of Canada. And there is an answer because Christ satisfies the soul. Man does not need to turn to these substitutes and these vices to be satisfied. There is grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, we are told by John that there is in our Lord Jesus full of grace and of truth, and of his grace have all we received. And really, this is the answer to the, the, the quest for crazy pleasures. The answer is to know the Savior, to know his blessing and fulfillment within the heart. If you know the Savior today, will you pray for those that are turning to the empty, broken cisterns of life? Will you pray for the, uh, those that are plagued by drugs and are now addicted to them, hooked and held by their grip as if it is Satan's very clutches? We need to see men and women, young people, delivered from the curse, the plague of drugs. So stay tuned with us right through the program. We'll come to that issue right at the end. Now may the Lord uh, work in your heart as we turn to the pulpit of our church on the ministry of Elisha, the servant with the double portion.
when we can say, thus saith the Lord. And that's why we preach out of this open Bible. That's why we have our confidence in the inspired and inerrant book. And when we keep faithfully and as accurately as humanly possible to the Scriptures of truth, we can say to the world, we can say to the man or woman in trouble, we can say to the church in all its struggles, thus saith the Lord. There's a message from God for his people and for his church in its hour of need. And in that, the very mercy of God is given us because God is for us. He is calling he is commanding, and he is instructing. Now, the command was, make this valley full of ditches. And these ditches, they demonstrate faith in the Lord. Because if there was anything contrary to man's thinking, contrary to reason, it would be to take whatever shovel spade, whatever instrument they used, to start digging trenches in the middle of a valley that was dusty dry, burning hot sun every day, and then to hear there's going to be no rain, there's going to be no wind, but there's going to be water. And with that command, these three kings were to command their army, dig, make this valley full of ditches. Now, I'm sure you could have looked upon the faces of these kings and the faces of their soldiers as they were told what to do and as they got to it. And I'm sure there was a lot of muttering and murmuring and wondering, how is this ever going to work and how is it ever going to help? But that is so often God's way. His ways are not our ways. They are higher. And faith is the command of God to do, and we do it. Not because it's our way, but because it is the command of God. Now, where would the water come from? Some try and expound and explain and say, well, there's going to be no wind or rain in the immediate vicinity, but up the valley somewhere on a higher elevation, there would be wind and rain there. I don't read of it at all in the, in the, in the chapter. And if it was rain falling elsewhere, that would be directed right down to fill these trenches at that very time, it would still be a miracle, because it would still be the un seen unexpected event. Now, the amazing thing is that God had two things in mind, supplying the water and confounding the enemy. If there had been rain, the enemy would not have been confused. They would never have interpreted the water shining red in the morning sun as blood. And so the nature of the event, the manner in which God worked was wise with purpose, and it came down to these kings and their armies 
obeying. Now, one little pointer here. I want you to notice the time that the water came. In verse 20, it says, And it came to pass in the morning, when the meat offering was offered, that, behold, there came water by the way of Edom. This was the daily sacrifice of Israel. This was the morning hour when that animal was slain, its blood was retrieved, its carcass was burned, and the blood was taken by the priest, presented in the holy place. How all of this was done in the wilderness, I don't know. But at that very hour, the water appeared. And the link up surely is no coincidence. And God is teaching us here that he wins the battle by our devotion, our prayers. And if we will learn to depend on God and trust in him, that the answer will come. Now, we need to take this to heart tonight. Where does faith like this come from? Well, we need to know that God will never forsake his own redeemed people. God is a covenant God, and that means that God has bound himself by his word and indebted himself to his people. He cannot abandon them, and this one of the big reasons why God is right here to help. And so we conclude, God is for us. And this whole story and the details of this story, they all add up to this great truth. God is for us. And we need that confidence in our hearts. Because how often the devil comes and whispers and says to you, the future of the gospel-preaching church of the biblical church, of the church that stands for holiness and godliness and the honor of Christ and of a new life and a new walk and a new purpose, a new creature made anew, that the days of such a church are over. If you want a successful church, you've got to go to a compromising church. You've got to go to a church where they are letting down the standards and giving up the old paths of which Jeremiah said is the good way. That is the lie that we must not listen to. And we must learn that God still has victory in store for his own church. And so again, I conclude from this great event, God is for us. There is no doubt about it. Now, I come to this interpretation of the water here the red sky's reflection on the water, it really demonstrated God's victory over the enemy. These Moabites were a desperate threat. Now, the word of the Lord to, through Elisha had two parts. One, dig ditches, and the water will come. But if you go up there to verse 18, it says, And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites into your hand. Oh, that's... That's the real end result that is going to make the difference, because they could get water and still lose the battle. They could get water supply and still be defeated there in the desert. But the word that came through Elisha was, you're going to get the water, but you're also going to see the Moabites totally defeated. 
and he goes on to talk about the way in which they will uh, smite every fenced city and every choice city and fell every good tree. And, and that comes true right down after this confusion about the water. Now, water in the trenches ended the requirement of survival, but God had a, a further plan with this water for it to become the ruin of Moab. Moab, remember, is the bully. He's the rebel. He's the one who kept his contract of allegiance with Ahab, Jehoram's father, but now he has rebelled, and he is pounding the, the war drums, and he's out there to meet these kings head on. Now, the water—this is the, the double miracle—the water that would be a blessing to Israel would be to the ruin of the Moabites. And that's how God so often works. The very thing that God uses to be a blessing to His people becomes the ruin of His enemies. The gospel is salvation to those that believe, but it is a savor of death to those that believe not. Now, verse 22 tells us that in the morning, the sun rose to shine on the waters, and it gave a red hue or reflection so that in the distance it appeared as blood. And here is Moab watching in the morning, the dawn, the light of day appearing, and they wouldn't have had spyglasses or binoculars or any way of, of uh, seeing into the camp of Israel. But somehow they saw these trenches that were now filled with water, a completely new phenomenon. Now, remember, there'd be no rain, no wind. And what else could the Moabites think? And they came to the conclusion that these three kings, this unholy alliance, king of Israel, king of Judah, and Edom, had a falling out, and there was a great slaughter and what they saw was blood, or they interpreted as blood. And of course, they saw what they wanted to see. There is no person as easily convinced as the person who wants to believe it. And that's how the devil works. That's how the enemy confuses. When people want to be told, you can have your sin, and you can have the world, and you can live as you like and still be a Christian and go to heaven, people just love it just love it, and they want to believe it, and they are deceived thereby. And here, God uses what is a great blessing to Israel to become a confusion and the ruin of these Moabites. God did the same thing in Egypt when He sent darkness to the Egyptians. It was light in Goshen among His people. When he sent any number of plagues, it fell among Egypt and the pharaohs and the cities. But in Goshen, those things didn't happen. And then, of course, the opening of the Red Sea, what was a great deliverance to Israel, became the death and defeat of Egypt, their horses, and their chariots. In light of that, I want to read with you 1 Corinthians 1.18 through to verse 23. And I want you to think of the instrument of the cross, that instrument upon which our Lord Jesus died, 
which God ordained to lift the curse of sin upon men. We're told in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. See the difference. The one instrument, the one means. It becomes salvation to them that believe, but to them that perish foolishness. For it is written in verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, here we are tonight, and we are doing the very thing that the world calls foolishness. It's just an old woman's, old ladies' uh, meeting. It's just for pansies. It's for people that have no gut, no uh, desire to stand up in the world. These are just the meek and the quiet and the people that get walked over. These are the people that get persecuted in the world. And the church is despised because we believe in preaching. And more than that, we preach the cross, the very instrument of shame and disgust. I was reading, uh, I think it was Mr. Spurgeon, on people who wear jewelry, Christian jewelry of the cross. Could you imagine a French man wearing jewelry with a guillotine? The very thing that cuts people's heads off, or a murder weapon. And yet we are called to preach the very instrument that put to death our Lord Jesus, the most cruel manner of, of death in the world. And we glory in it. Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross. And this is our message. And we will not give over preaching the cross. We want almost in every possible message to preach the cross and get to the cross and preach Christ crucified. But that is an offense to the carnal man. And when they are offended by it, it becomes their ruin. And the very thing that we delight in becomes the thing that destroys the ungodly. Now, I'm not going to use typology when we look at this appearance of blood by the Moabites and say that relates directly to the blood of Jesus. I don't think we have to do that. We have enough in the Bible to teach us that we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. And we know that it was at the cross where our Lord Jesus destroyed Satan and routed every enemy of, of Christ and of his church. And so we preach the cross without making that kind of interpretation. So I don't feel it's safe or it's best for us to say when those Moabites saw that blood, that that blood represents the blood of Jesus. I think that we could get ourselves in trouble by doing that. We have many verses in the Bible, many passages in the Bible that teach such things very, very clearly. But sadly tonight, the world cannot see the power of the cross. They cannot see it. They follow illusions. They are bamboozled by it. They're deluded by it. And, of course, they deal in envy. 
when God's people speak of the peace that comes through the cross. I appeal tonight to your conscience. Do not make yourself an enemy of God by opposing the cross of Christ. You see, this is the dividing line. If you want to know tonight, is God for you or is God against you? You can determine that by your position at the cross. If you have come by faith to see the cross as God's way of saving your soul, and you delight in it, you thank God for the cross and the work that was accomplished on that tree at Calvary. You praise God for the blood that was shed for you. Then that has become God's way of blessing your soul. If you are saying tonight, I wish that our church would never mention the cross. I don't want to hear it ever again. Let's move on to some of the other things like how to get uh, five things that will help us live a victorious life in a postmodern Christian world, and uh, that will do us more good. Now, we believe that it is the preaching of the cross that saves those that perish. And those who do perish, they do so because they despise the cross or will not listen to it. And so I bid you to come by faith and put your trust in the cross work of the Lord Jesus. If you have done so, then the Bible tells me, Romans 8, 32, that God is for us. And the hymn we're going to close with tonight is, If God be for us, who can be against us? And this is the conclusion of this whole event that we've been looking at tonight. What a merciful God we have. What a gracious God. What a powerful God. He delivers and He saves those who trust in Him. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak. Stay tuned with us for five minutes of Righteousness Exalteth a Nation. Today we want to talk about mercy for youth of our land. As a pastor, I am very alarmed for the youth of our country who are being destroyed by the drug world. Just today again, I had a father on the phone crying for help to rescue his teenage son from drugs and suicide. As never before, kids from even good and godly homes are being lured into doping. Some dabble in it and learn to hate it, but a great number are falling prey to its destructive powers. The new powerful drugs are fentanyl, which has the power to kill with a little grain-sized powder. Those who sell these drugs are ruthless murderers, for they know only too well they are dealing in death. Deaths have occurred from the very first ingestion of this drug. Even first responders who somehow ingest a little dust from their gloves have needed emergency treatment. Sadly, this is not just happening on the back streets of our cities. It is happening in million-dollar homes and hotel suites. It is killing the rich and successful, as well as the troubled and disadvantaged. There is also an alarming number of people hooked on these drugs through doctors' prescription pills, giving out for pain relief. 
The stats show that the number of fentanyl prescriptions in our society has climbed steeply. It seems that for years, few doctors realized the high risk of administering such drugs. There is a sinister side to this plague of drugs in our society that has created a culture of death. It is as if all discernment has been taken away. One would think that as soon as the word is out that these powerful drugs are killing thousands upon thousands of people, that the alarm would go off that this stuff is pure poison and to be avoided. But people don't seem to care for their own lives, just as the drug dealers don't care who they kill. How do we explain this dark interest in drugs in what we glean from the Bible? It surely tells us that the Bible is correct, that the heart of man is deceitfully and wicked above all things who can know it. It is a desperately deep sin problem in human nature. The Bible is right that man without God cannot find real satisfaction. The Bible also tells us that Satan is a murderer from the beginning. This state of affairs is ripe for the devil to destroy souls. In John 10, verse 10, the Bible says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and heareth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. In Christ and the gospel rests hope for our nation. We need to repent of the sin of our generation, and turn again unto God. We fear that this may be God's judgment, where he gives people over to the evil of their ways. And it is young people who suffered due to their rebellion to God. To parents, I would say, cling to Christ and to the gospel of the cross. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Redemption and reconciliation to God through the blood of Christ is still the power of God. God still saves and saves from the guttermost to the uttermost. It is time for God's people to awaken to the death throes within our society, and turn back to God for mercy and deliverance for the rising generation that know not the Lord. It is time to pray for God to make the gospel great again, to turn his people to walk again in the paths of righteousness. For righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs fourteen twenty four. Christ is our righteousness. He is our Savior from sin. He saves from its guilt, its power, and one day from its presence. Trust Him to save your soul from your sin. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.